Well, I only have a couple minutes left to say this, but good morning. How are you guys doing? Before we get started, um, I want to do something that we don't normally do, a team that doesn't get recognized a whole lot. Um, but I want to give a big hand to, our, to Chris and the um, setup team because they did a great job this last week doing the set design. So can we give them a round of applause? Um, they were here on Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night to flip the set to get it ready for Christmas. And they did an unbelievable job. And as someone who's not creative and not good at working with my hands, I'm always so impressed by the things that they can do and as quickly as they can turn that around. So um, thank you to them um, for all that they do. And if you're part of that team, I know it's a, sometimes a thankless job. So, so thank you. We appreciate it. We are going to be um, starting a new series this week, and it's going to be called Awe and Wonder. And this is going to be our Christmas series that we're going to be going through. And the reason that we chose this title is when you think about the Christmas story, to think that Christ and God came down from heaven, put on skin, and chose to walk among us to show us the best way to live and to ultimately be our sacrifice, just the awe that's around that. And Trevor's going to have an opportunity to talk about that next week, a little bit of just how unbelievable and the miraculous thing that it is that Jesus was born. But there's also some space for us to wonder a little bit. And so that's where we got the second part of that. And that's what I get to spend a little bit of time talking about today, is this idea of using our imagination, practicing some curiosity, and I think that's something as adults that we really struggle with. As we grow and as we mature, we, our ability and the, how we're able to, to use our imagination and to practice curiosity starts to diminish and starts to go away. My four and five-year-olds are always building forts or coming up with a new game or going on a new adventure, always asking questions of why and how. And I've noticed as, as we continue to, as I continue to get older, I do that less and less. And I, I don't use my imagination all that much. I want to have some practical handles on what things are going to be and what it's going to look like and how are we going to determine who wins and all of these other things. And I just have a hard time using my imagination and enjoying. And so my invitation to you over these next three weeks is come and imagine with us. Come and use your imagination and wonder a little bit. Take a look at the Christmas story and let's see what truths that we can find if we actually get past the facts, the figures, and the data and use our imagination a little bit. So for today, we are going to start at the beginning of the story. So we're going to be in Luke 2, starting in verse 1 through 5. So if you have your Bibles, tablets, phones, it'll be on the screens. However you access God's Word, turn to Luke 2, 1 through 5. It says this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. This was the first census that had took place while Quirinus was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. 
Now, we could do a whole sermon on the lineage of Jesus and how he, how he was from the line of David, and you can read Matthew 1 and go through all of that and all the detail and the history and the characters who show up in there are so interesting and so intriguing. But for me today, the thing that I've always found most interesting, most intriguing about the Christmas story is the journey that Mary and Joseph took from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the journey that they went on. So like any good adult, I got some facts and figures for us. And I know you'll enjoy that. We've got some facts and some figures, some some things that really did happen to help set the context before we use our imagination. The first two are pretty, um, pretty interesting. The first one is this. It's about 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Um, depending on the route that you took. Some said 100, some said 70, depending on the different routes, but probably about 80 miles. And it was, would have been a hilly terrain and would have taken probably 7 to 10 days if you were walking. Now, the next two um, facts kind of messed with my uh, view of what Christmas has always been in my mind. Uh, first one is this, is they probably traveled with others in a caravan. In my mind, they always traveled by themselves. It was Mary, Joseph, the donkey, and they're going right along, and they're, they're, they're doing this by themselves, making this journey. But more than likely, they did it with others because they would have been traveling close to, if not through, Samaria, which was enemy territory. So more than likely, they would have traveled with a group of people. And the fourth one is the one that really messed with my mind a little bit, might mess with you. You may have to go home and make some changes to your nativity scenes um, at home. But more than likely, Mary did not ride on a donkey. So if that completely blows what the Christmas story is for you, I apologize. But more than likely, she did not ride on a donkey for a couple of reasons. One, it would have taken way too long. The donkeys um, would want to go at their own pace, their own will, and it would have extended the trip longer than the seven to ten days. So for someone that's eight or nine months pregnant, to extend that any longer would not have been ideal. And also, uh, the ride would have been a little bit bumpy, and for someone who was pregnant, again, would not have been good. So long story short, if you have a donkey that Mary's riding on in your nativity scene, it may not be exactly correct. Um, But the facts and figures help us. They help us gain the context, help us understand what was taking place, what was going on. But again, I don't want to focus on the facts and figures. They're helpful. But what I want to focus on is what was the conversation like on the journey? Scripture doesn't tell us much. They just said that they traveled to and from, and we get what happens when they get there. We don't get a whole lot of what the journey was like, but that's what I wonder about. That's what I'm curious about is what was that journey like for Mary and for Joseph as they traveled? Did they compare stories of like, hey, when the angel came to me and told me this was going to happen, this is how it, and then, then, then Joseph said, well, when he came to me in my dream, this is how it happened this way. Did they compare and contrast stories? Did they talk about things that they were nervous? Did they talk about what they were excited about? How did Joseph comfort Mary when others maybe made comments that would shame her because of the condition that she was in? These are some things that I wonder about that Scripture isn't clear on, but I wonder what the formation, the transformational process was for Mary and Joseph as they traveled those seven to ten days towards Bethlehem. Have you ever been on a long journey before? Have you ever taken a trip? Uh, For me, uh, every year, Um, This year we celebrated the 32nd year where some faction of our family traveled to North Carolina in the fall for a beach vacation. 
We've been doing it for a long time, and the trip for me is one that's changed over the years, but have such good memories as a part of it. As a kid, when we started to go, I can remember we'd, get up, we'd leave on a Friday evening, load up in the car, and we'd drive to Kentucky. We'd stop in Kentucky at Fazoli's every time. We'd stop at Fazoli's, we'd eat dinner, and then we'd change into our pajamas of the things that we were really going to travel in through the night. We'd hop in the car and we'd start driving. And then I can remember little things like, you know, we had to travel with our seatbelts on. So I would try to sneak the seatbelt off, you know, like push the button in, then pull it up so it didn't click when you did it, you know. However I could do to try to secretly get my seatbelt off so my mom wouldn't notice and I could sleep a little bit better. I could remember my sisters always trying to put their legs on top of mine and us fighting for leg room to where we're going to be so we could try to get as comfortable as possible. I can remember trying to sneak in some snacks that I would sit in the back seat and try to open again without mom and dad hearing These were fun memories, but the thing that I remember most is I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and when we we would be driving, and sometimes it'd be through some bigger cities, just looking at the lights at night, looking at the street lights as we're driving through, the road is pretty much empty, and we're driving through, and I remember looking at my dad who who was driving the car, and I can remember feeling so safe and so secure and that everything was going to be okay. And I also loved the fact that I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning and they weren't telling me to go back to bed, right? This was, this was a, a fun part of the journey. Well, now that journey has changed a little bit. And one of the other things we did that I forgot to, to mention here is we would also stop at McDonald's for breakfast. And that was a big deal because we only stopped and ate breakfast at McDonald's on this one trip. So McDonald's breakfast was a luxury for us. Then so for us, that was a huge part. When my dad would sleep, we'd go in, mom take all four of us kids in, and we'd get, we'd get breakfast, and then we'd hop back in the car and arrive sometime mid-morning. But those were our traditions. Those are the things that I look back on fondly, that not only did I enjoy our beach vacation once we got there, but I enjoyed the process of getting there. And now I'm the one that's driving the car at three o'clock in the morning, looking back at my kids in the rearview mirror as we're making this journey that I've taken for 32 odd years or so. Seeing them wake up, see the lights, establishing new traditions of where we're gonna stop for dinner, where we're gonna eat breakfast at the next morning. We're starting to do that and starting to hopefully to help them enjoy the journey and the process of getting to the destination. So why do I ask this? Why, why is this part of the talk this morning? Because I think for the most part, as, as Americans today, as North Americans, what we do is we have our mindset on the goal and the destination of where we're going. But we don't spend time to think about the process to get there. We want to get through it as fast as we can, as quick as we can, as easy as we can. We live in a microwave society that doesn't want something to take a long time, but we want to get through as fast as possible. And we have a goal in mind. We need to be goal-oriented, and this is our goal, and this is how we're going to get there, and this is my plan, and blah, 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 blah. And we don't stop and notice what's going on around us. We don't, underst- we don't enjoy the process of getting there. That's why I the process of Mary and Joseph and the journey that they took to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem for me has always stood out. Because I think that there is something that God wants to do with us while we're in process, while we're on the journey, something that a work that he wants to do in our lives. And sometimes we need to pay attention to that. 
We see a similar story with the Apostle Paul. At this point, he's still Saul. And if you'll go to Acts 9, 1 through 9, we're going to read his story of his transformation on the road to Damascus. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way or who were followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here we see Saul going to Damascus with the purpose of arresting those who are followers of Jesus. And on that road, on that journey, he, ex- he encounters Jesus. And Jesus says, it confronts him. And he has this unbelievable experience. But what happens when he looks up? He comes up and he's blind and he can't see. The whole trajectory of his trip, of his mission, changed. His destination looked different. And what I'm curious about is in those three days that he sat blind and as he fasted, what was going on in his heart and mind? What was God doing in those three days? Because you got to think about this. Saul was a very goal-driven person. He had been very successful growing up in the synagogues and was a Pharisee. And here he's sitting, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He was not promised that he was going to get his sight back. He was not promised of the future. He had no clue what was in store with him, but he had to sit for three days and wait till finally God sends Ananias to kind of to heal his blindness, but then also to kind of tell him, this is what God has for you. But what happened in those three days where he had no clue when his life got turned upside down? Same is true for Mary and Joseph. You know, you think about it, they're traveling to Joseph's hometown where he probably has family. But in the story, we don't ever hear about him stopping by his family's house to see if he could stay with them while they were in town. No, probably because of Mary's condition and the nature of their relationship, they were not welcome to stay with family. So their first option was an inn. And I'm sure, unlike us today, we would have our room booked. We'd have our, make sure we got the early check-in. We got the free continental breakfast. All of these things. They did not have those promises as they were traveling to there. And I'm sure it wasn't in their plan to have a baby in a stable that night. And I'm sure even once that baby showed up, or as they were thinking what it was going to be like to be the earthly parents of the Son of God. There was a lot of mystery. There was a lot of unknown. They didn't know what their future was going to hold. And the same is true for us today. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. We may be in the middle of a storm right now, and we do not know which way to turn. 
It may be a relationship that's gone awry. It may be a diagnosis that you or a loved one has received. Maybe it's a job interview that you're waiting for or a career change. I'm sure in a room this size, there are numerous stories of things that you are currently going through and you don't know what the destination is going to look like or what it's going to be. And my encouragement to you is this, to all of us, to pay attention to what God is doing in your heart and your mind right now while you're on that journey. How can we rejoice? How can we worship with the knowledge that God is in control no matter where you find yourself? As we sang earlier, one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we can rest assured no matter what we're going through that God is with us through that process. He wants to journey along with us. He wants to teach us. He wants to transform us. He wants to travel along with us as we go. We are not meant to do it alone. In Psalm 138, David writes this, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. We also get this from the Apostle Paul, which I wonder if he's recalling back to his three days when he was blind. When he writes to the Philippian church, he says this, Be confident of this. He who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you follow Jesus, then we have this hope that God is walking with us, that he is wanting to grow us up, that he can use whatever we're going through for his glory, for our betterment, and for our maturity. If you remember a couple series ago, we talked about being whole, and Daniel talked about what it meant to have a whole spirit, be whole in spirit. And what he talked about there is that when, as humans, we were created with a spirit. We were created individually with our own spirit, with our own will. And when we decide to follow Jesus, it is a lifelong process of removing our spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and have more reign, rule, and control over our life. And it's a process. It's not something that happens instantaneously. Can I get an amen that it is hard to walk as Jesus wants us to walk? Amen. All right, guys. Remember, Daniel said this last week. We're going to start talking a little bit more. So give me some feedback. I'm good with that. But so what we're going to do, so it's hard. It's a, it's a difficult thing to put our will aside and to let God's will take control, to let God's spirit come in and do the work that he wants to do. So my encouragement is this. If you're going through something difficult right now, don't just put your head down and keep moving forward. But take a moment and stop, pause, and look around and take note of what God is doing. How is he trying to form you? How is he forming your character more and more into the image of Jesus through the work of his spirit in your life? I also think it's important to notice we are meant to do this in community We're not designed to walk through this life by ourselves. As we talked about, we want to experience God's presence with us 
as we go through tough things as he's forming us, but he also wants us to do that with one another. We at least know that Mary and Joseph did have each other. If nothing else, they traveled that road together. But as we talked about earlier, more than likely, they did it with a caravan of people. They didn't make that journey by themselves. And we see with the story with Saul that he had other men that were with him as they were traveling the road that day. And those men literally held his hand and walked him into Damascus. He didn't have to stumble around not being able to see, but he had people with him that literally guided him to Damascus. We need others to walk with. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 16, or 6.16. It says this, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's take a moment and look at this verse. First it says, stand at the crossroad. Standing doesn't say walking. So standing means stop. Stop and stand and look. And ask for the ancient paths. So what does that mean? That means that we might have to humble ourselves enough to ask for help. We need to look around to others around us who maybe walked this path ahead of us and said, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me out, please? We have to have the boldness and the courage to do that, but we also have the humility. We have to have the humility to say, I don't know what I'm doing right now. And I need your help. Then we actually have to walk in it. We do have to take steps towards it. And finally, you'll find rest for your souls. And I don't know how that lands with you right now, but every time I read that, you will have rest for your souls. Especially around this time of year. I need that. That is a welcomed invitation. You will have rest for your souls. It's important for us to walk alongside one another so that we can lean on each other, ask questions of one another, learn from each other's experience. We say around here a lot, don't waste your pain. And what that means is we want you to recycle it. We want you to, whatever you're going through, whatever God has taught you, how he's worked, make sure you share that with other people. Make sure you are available to others. Recycle it so it's not just wasted. How that's played itself out in my life lately, <coughs> excuse me, a couple years back, um, my wife and I, Lisa, had a miscarriage. And it was a hard, um, it was a hard season. It was actually the, week, the weekend that was my first weekend here at Calvary is when we went through that miscarriage. And that was a tough road to walk. But what made it doable is that we had people that came alongside of us that, says, that said, we've, we've been there. They were honest and open with us and said, yeah, we've, we've struggled with that as well. We had a miscarriage. We've had a couple miscarriages, and, and, and it, we know how you feel. And they were so gracious. They provided meals for us. They loved on us. They prayed for us. They also said, hey, just so you know, once you finally get over the hump, these are some triggers that might bring it up later. Just be aware of that and let us know if we can come alongside you in it. And it was such a blessing. I'm so thankful. I think that is what helped us get through that season the most. And in turn, now we have had the opportunity as we have been open with the pain and the anguish and what we walked through. And that now we've been able to come alongside others 
who have struggled with the same thing, who've struggled with infertility or struggled with having, or losing a child, and we've had the opportunity to walk alongside them to do the same thing that people did for us. And that's only possible if you are willing to be open with what God is doing in your life with others. If you feel like you have to carry that all yourself, that this is the burden and the load that you have to put on your shoulders and walk through, and you have to do that by yourself, and you don't allow anyone else in to help you, then you're choosing to walk this road alone. But that's not what was meant to happen. So my encouragement is to not only stop, pause, and take note of what God is doing in your life, but stop, pause, and take notice of what he's doing in the lives of people around you and how he can use your story for his glory to benefit his kingdom, to build his kingdom so that we can do life together and we don't have to feel like we are the only people who are walking through this tough time. Don't rush to the finish line. Journey with Jesus through the process as he's growing us up, as he's maturing our faith. So the Monday morning application is this. Have a goal or an end in mind. It's good to have something to shoot for. It's good to have something that you're looking out towards that you want to reach, something that you want to accomplish. It's good to have goals, but what my prayer and hope is is that you won't just focus on the goal but you'll pay attention to what God's doing in the midst of getting to that goal. That you would be okay with the process of getting there, whether that takes days, weeks, months, years, decades to get there, that you would be okay with the process because you know you have a heavenly father that loves you so much that he has, he knows the end, he knows what it looks like, but he's concerned about the process that you're going through right now and how he's trying to form and shape you more and more into the image of his son. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for how you want to grow us up, Lord. And I know we fight against that. We want life to be easy. We want life to be comfortable. But Lord, sometimes it's in the pain and it's in those things that you really grow us up the most because we have to lean on you and we have to lean on others. So I pray for those who are walking through a difficult time right now, Lord, that they would sense your presence and that you would put other people around them to encourage them, to love them, to sit with them. Father, thank you for sending your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.